We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? A fun one in downtown L.A. last night. Lakers win 134 to 107. You're listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And a very eventful night, D. We had the first home game of the in-season tournament, had the new City Edition jerseys. Huge shout out to Jay Diaz and his team for creating that. Mike gave him a shout out on the broadcast last night as well. But they put a ton of work into it, and I, I thought they looked great. The court, to the best of my knowledge, is the first time the Lakers have played on a full-fledged alternate court. Not like a finals type of court, but something that's totally different. I thought it looked great on TV. Had a great energy last night. Darius, people getting in fights all over the league, and including oh, Anthony Davis shoving Santi Aldama to the ground. And... A couple nights after watching DeAndre Ayton passively let a very critical loose ball roll by him, I needed that in my life, that whole energy from that game last night. AD absolutely ravages the reigning defensive player of the year, has six blocks in three quarters. Lakers, by the way, hit 22 threes, tying a franchise record after being the worst three-point shooting team in the league last night. It's not really about like the the award at the end of it. But if this is what the in-season tournament brings, this sort of life and energy, I'm a huge fan, D. I had a blast last night. The older I get, the more, like, we all want championships, right? We're Laker fans, and that's obviously where we want it to end. But the older I get, the more I appreciate, like, I had a lot of fun on a Tuesday night in November. And, like, I'll take that any day of the week, man. What a game. What a fun night. It was a fun night, and... Um, too bad Mike's not here yet. I think he might be jumping on soon. Later, yeah. Yes, but um, too bad Mike's not here to hear you mm-hmm. like talk glowingly about the in-season tournament, Pete. That's music to his ears, I'm sure. Look, AD and LeBron being like, LeBron, noted frugal person. Just <laughs> genuinely like, like he enjoys hoarding, I think, his own money. And <laughs> good for him, man. They're talking about like, hey... I wouldn't mind getting some extra money in my pocket, right? And so you get to that finals game and you're guaranteed a certain amount of dough. It's like, hey, so these guys seem to be 
taking these games seriously. They seem to want to win. Mike mentioned this last week for the Friday game in Phoenix, that there's just some extra juice in the building, um, new uniforms, new courts. It does sort of inspire this sense like this is different. And because it is different, guys are like competing hard. And um, whether or not there there's any stakes, additional stakes yet, like who knows? And Mike is here now, so he could speak to this a little bit in terms of like the feeling in the room, but it's just like the additional oh, this is a different environment and how do we respond to that? The competitors, Mike, within the context of like the in-season tournament, Pete was saying, hey, like guys got some juice and there's fights all over the league and the players seem into it and it's delivering in terms of the product. And we had fun. Of course, the Lakers thrashing a team by 27 points is, is always going to be fun. But that extra juice in the room felt real last night. As you guys know, I'm not a big in-season tournament fan. Um, so I'm going to have to go <laughs> the other way on this. No, I, it's the juice and all that. I think I think that's a real thing. Um, I'm I'm trying to contrast that with just the, the Lakers level of play and how much of that has to do with getting even one healthy body back in Rui that's like made a difference with the size and and just the like how different things were when we had this conversation about a week ago um, after the Houston loss when AD didn't play. And I think there are a few things going on, but bottom line, like the the level of competition um, that like the way that the Lakers play and the way that their roster looks, they have this is kind of goes back to what Darvin Ham says often. They they have to have a certain level of um, intensity because of the even though there's there's more skill maybe than there was last year at times, it's still a team, Pete, that just has to play hard to be effective. Mm hmm. You know, and not that that isn't the case for most NBA teams, but there are some teams that just have a little bit of a different game with this way that they play with skill and such. So I, I think that the Lakers have tapped into that a little bit more um, after that. It wasn't looking like that, certainly at Orlando, certainly at Houston. Mm -hmm. It's not that simple, but that to me is is kind of the biggest thing that's that sounds reductive at times. But like they the the level of competition has definitely been there. They're a bigger team now that plays more guys that naturally kind of play that way. Cam Reddish has been a huge catalyst in this whole like, yeah, Lakers got to play hard and attack. And there's some things happening on the defensive end as we get into more of the analytical portions of this pod, as opposed to the wasn't that fun <laughs> part um, that I'm so excited about. I was texting you guys in all caps last night about how excited I was about where the defense is going. And Cam has started the game with a deflection within the first like possession or two, like three, four times this year. You know, and he is he's got a great motor along with his athletic tools. He covers a lot of distance. I'm in the midst of an LFR video on him right now that I'm just like like watching him slowed down on tape, just focused on him. He covers a ton of distance with a great motor. And I remember last year uh, at the beginning of the year, we were talking about, OK, who's going to start and who's not going to. And I remember talking to people and remember, this is a very different Lakers roster. Uh one of the big arguments that was pro Pat Bev was a, a pro Pat Bev starting was that he kind of ignites your defense and gets you as a team sort of in the right mindset for the rest of the game to be very locked in and aggressive. And he just sort of starts the game off like that. 
that's exactly what Cam Reddish has been doing for us defensively. And the combined pressure that he puts on guys, the combine that with Anthony Davis in just swatting everything away and patrolling the paint. All of a sudden, your windows in terms of dribbling, your passing windows, your ability to get shots up and layups up, they become so narrow that guys start to rush things. That gets us out into transition. But there has to be a certain amount of athletic pressure applied, I think, for what Mike's saying to be true, which is why the like D'Lo, Austin, Prince trio, for example, has been really bad this year because they don't have that collective athleticism and all of that. And so despite being good players individually and all of whom are starting to hit their stride uh, to different degrees, right? And so seeing that level of pressure applied, I also think that playing Memphis always helps and added to the juice of uh, the IST of, of the in-season tournament right uh but that level of pressure and athleticism i think is going to be super key to the team and uh this year and i thought that last night's game was a great example of why yeah this is also like why we've been missing jared vanderbilt and why we've brought up his name as frequently as we have Can't right wait. it's the idea of defensive slotting as much as anything else like yes. we often talk about offensive roles and how a great player can push another very good or even great player down to a secondary or or sort of adjacent role where the asks on them are different and then they can thrive. And that works defensively too, right? It's like Prince doesn't have the ability to slot D'Lo and Austin appropriately, right? And so, right. and even Prince isn't slotted appropriately playing next to LeBron where his ask gets higher. Mm -hmm. And so Cam moves Prince down to the next most important guy or a more natural matchup to him. If he's playing at the two slash three, Cam can take the bigger guy. And like Prince is not going to be as physically overwhelmed at that spot and doesn't have the physical asks. Yeah, or even against the Suns, right? Like Cam took Beal. Mm -hmm. You said this. I'm not sure if I want Prince defending Beal. I think he's too tall for Beal. And it was an interesting comment, but I understood exactly where you were coming from. It's it's because like Prince's ability to me, the type of player that I want Prince defending is like Clay Thompson, where it's just like, oh, you're sort of a taller dude yeah. who isn't going to be as shifty, doesn't right, have as much wiggle. You. Yes. Right, that's the thing about him being too tall. That's what I meant with Prince is that like a guy like Beal will go around you. Yes. And so Cam can just deal with that sort of player a little bit better. And so I've just been appreciative of the way that he's been able to then slot Prince in a way where Prince can handle the type of guy that works better for him. And then D'Lo can take the next guy. And then LeBron just has to do what LeBron does and make sure that he is managing things appropriately. Like he guarded JJJ for a stretch during the first half, and he did exactly what he was supposed to do to JJJ, which was like turn him. And so the first sequence where AD got consecutive blocks, like against Jaron Jackson Jr., the first block came where LeBron overplayed him to his left hand, yep. made him spin back to his right hand, and there is AD swatting that first shot away. And then he tried to test him again, and AD was like, you know, like, nah, you're not scoring on me at all this game like not once yeah no one votes on the plays on the floor right you actually have to be great at what you do <laughs> and so 
And then there was even a possession like in the second half where LeBron did the same thing to JJJ and he spun him into where Wood was supposed to be and then Wood wasn't there and LeBron like barked at Wood like, yo, you got to be there for me right there. Like I'm doing my job. And so that... Mike, we've talked about like the defensive ask like on LeBron, but that's the sort of thing that I want from him at as sort of like, can you give us that a little bit more? There are also going to be those possessions where it's just like, he's like, ah, there's a shooter. There's my guy. I'm just going to stand here a couple of times. Like no big deal. And and that's going to come within the context of the game. But I just thought the way that the defensive ability of having that point of attack guy and having AD there too behind it all allows everyone else to play more to to their strengths. And I didn't think Cam was going to be that sort of dude, but but he has been. So let's go to break here. And when we come back, let's talk more about the overall shape of the team on both sides of the ball. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, Anthony Davis is certainly the best place to start defensively. And there are some games in the walk-off interview that AD actually did with the studio. He cited the last time the Lakers played Memphis um, as as to like, hey, when's the last time that you didn't have to play in the fourth <laughs> quarter because you blew him out so bad? And I think that's maybe true, but didn't the same thing happen against the Warriors? Uh, alas, AD, there are certain games where when AD, you can just tell – He's got the mindset of you are not scoring in yep. here tonight. And in that, that's the time when the Lakers are basically unbeatable unless you have Nikola Jokic. Um, and there's somebody that is just so dominant in there that even Anthony Davis um, can't stop him. But there are not many guys and or just teams when he is in the the just I'm going to use all of my physical tools and how locked in that I am mentally to completely shut this thing down. And that is not a a sustainable way to play because the expectation of somebody doing that is ridiculous because it takes such incredible um, combination of effort and energy and focus. But he had that, I thought, last night. And that was just apparent um, right from the start of the game. 
And I think that that fueled the rest of the defense. And, and I want to ask you guys a kind of a Cam Reddish specific question coming up. But I did want to talk about the threes for a second. Yes. The Lakers started the they started the game 30th in three point percentage at 30.4 percent. Can you guess in can you guess where they moved up to after the game oh, in the NBA? Are we like low 20s now? 23rd. They moved up to 23rd (laughs) from one game of hitting threes, which teaches you something about sample size this early in the season. But that is just dumb. Uh, It's they're they're all the way up to 34 percent now um, after shooting 63 percent. And and it's it's the greatest the greatest shooting performance in a game with 35 plus threes. I think it's in league history, isn't it? So so that's true. Yeah, Yeah. the the highest percentage with that amount of attempts, but also the greatest shooting night in terms of made threes in Lakers history, uh, right? Tying 2019 against the Celtics. But it was like D'Lo, six for eight. Austin, four for four. Rui Hachimura, three for three. Max Christie, one for one. Reddish, three for five. (laughs) LeBron, three for six. And then Prince, two for five. Prince was at two for five was um, the second worst shooter of the evening. The only player who couldn't hit a shot was Christian Wood, uh, who was 0 for 3. So it was it was insane. I, I think it had partly to do with Memphis having almost literally no guards playing that they thought they would have at the start of the season. And therefore, like the forwards and the bigs kind of getting caught and not really sure where to being defend, where to defend. Marcus Smart played eight minutes um, and Luke Kennard played five minutes. And so that meant that they were having all these lineups out there that were that were totally totally ridiculous um they, they would never have so that i thought was a little bit but i i wanted to put that that sort of shooting thing out there and, and uh so if you guys want to touch on that sure but i, I do have a reddish question for you as well uh, so maybe let, just let, start with the shooting and the offense and then i'll get to the reddish thing so like dean and i were talking before the game about uh you know memphis is obviously very uh, very shorthanded right now, but they're still a good defensive team. They have the reigning defensive player of the year in the front court. They had the guy who won defensive player of the year the year before. Now, like you said, he only played eight minutes and hopefully Marcus Smart is uh, his ankle injury isn't, isn't too bad. Um, but JJJ next to Bismack Biombo, you can't play that type of style that we played against Portland where it's like, oh, we're just going to spam around the basket and shoot 17 threes the entire game. That's why I texted you guys before the game. We're going to have to be productive on our jump shots. <laughs> Boy, were we. And, you know, you got Desmond Bain on top of that. Jacob Gilliard is a sh- really short, but he's going to win a lot of battles on the ground, like slides his feet well, gets a lot of strips down low. He's, you know, scrappy. So Memphis is bad right now because they just cannot create good looks. Um, but their defense is respectable, you know? And so to me, I thought Last night was more of a function of the Lakers playing well. Darius, you had some great observations about some of the things we're doing more to create some of these good looks. But I'm not saying that, you know, oh, yeah, we I expected us to make 22 threes. But the quality of looks that we were getting, Mike, were a lot better than than they've been. Darius, to Pete's point, several of the Laker players, including Hachimura, and I think Austin mentioned this specifically, said that they had this discussion where, hey, you're, you're going to have to play a little different against Memphis. They're going to pack the paint, Biombo, mm-hmm. Jackson together. So it was part of their game plan. I, when I'm, especially when I'm sitting in the courtside seat, that's where I need to step back and zoom out a little bit and like watch the TV feed, which I haven't done yet to see. So how did that actually play out? What were they doing a little bit differently uh, and, and how were they able to execute? So just one more note. Just on like the statistical night the Lakers had, they're only the second team ever, ever 
to hit at least 22 threes in a game while shooting at least 62% on those threes. The only other team that did it was the 08-09 Orlando Magic, who the Lakers faced in the finals later that year. They beat the Sacramento Kings in a eerily similar game to the one that the Lakers just played. The, the Magic beat the Kings 139 to 107. And they went 49 for 81 from the field and 23 for 37 from behind the arc. And the how Lakers many times have we compared this Lakers squad and kind of its construction to that exact team, the 2009 Orlando Magic? That's funny. So the Lakers beat Memphis, right? 134 to 107. They went 47 for 81 from the field. So almost exactly the same. And they went 22 for 35 from behind the arc. So like so eerily close in terms of statistical numbers so that was great the growth and what we've seen in terms of like a slight evolution of what the lakers are doing offensively and they've been using less five out as like their standard play and they've been playing through the top of the key less it's not to say that they haven't been using five out spacing principles or that they haven't played through the top of the key at all but there's been an inversion. Like if it was like 70, 30 before five out being the 70 and 30 being like more four out stuff, they have switched that up. And it's more like 30, 70 now. And what the Lakers are doing is they're clearing strong side corner a lot more. And so there's like a trigger where the guy who's standing in the corner will then flow to the weak side in order to create two man opportunities that that are on the same side. They're running more double drag screens at the top of the key. And these are creating more double gap situations, Pete. And it's like the same sort of similarly they're generating now more shots in rhythm on mm-hmm. outside shots where it's just like ah there's a reason why the shots cam is taking it's just like oh look how open he is it's because those are coming from yep. strong side dribble attacks with then kickouts to the weak side corner and cam is just there wide open because the defense is totally collapsed into the paint and it's just different spacing principles that the team is using Mike, you shared with us a really interesting quote from Taylor Jenkins prior to the game about the challenge of defending the Lakers. Uh, and and so would you share that with us? I don't know you don't have the direct quote, but just uh, if you could paraphrase. Yeah, in essence, he said the Lakers are the way that the one of the ways they're difficult to defend and they're difficult to match up with is that they have a lot of different screen roll um, options and they do a lot of different things within those screen roll concepts. So as a defense, you're not quite sure who's going to hit you with one and when you know is it going to be LeBron is it going to be D'Angelo Russell is it going to be Austin Reeves are they going to invert it is one of the guards going to set the screen and he just was he wasn't naming the names but he was just going through sort of the the game plan purpose where like the opposite of this would be James Harden's going to bring the ball up the floor you know and dribble yes. around and we like we know where the attack is going to come from and and so it's something Pete that I texted you guys because uh so like in the text thread sometimes because you know so much about basketball and then and I'll be there. I won't necessarily always just go I- exactly with what you're saying, even if I think that it's true, because I like to push and get even oh, yeah. more it's, great it's basketball great. analysis out of it. But um, but I also like to gas you up when appropriate, which happened in this case, because you have been talking about this <laughs> and the different screen roll options. In the di- so that was why I wanted to put that in the thread as just a little like a little carrot um, to say, hey, Pete, you know that I love you. And Taylor Jenkins is saying the same thing that you're, that you're saying. So there you go. So I, I just want to give Darwin a little bit of love from this because it was sort of, you know, 
the idea necessity is the mother of invention. We start last year's season with very little shooting talent on the team. And that was something that, you know, changed over the course of the year. But when there is almost nobody on the perimeter that you have to worry about, you kind of have to create that hammer to get into the paint. And it's like, well, how do we run pick and rolls? How do we get into the paint when they know we want to get into the paint and we know we want to get into the paint and they don't have to worry about anything out on the perimeter. And the way to do that is to confuse them as often as possible, really, right? And so that idea of having just a ton of different pick and roll variations, because that is a lot of the talent that we did have to start last year. And that's the case this year too. It's just in a different way where it's like, oh, we've got a bunch of different guys that can play not just one role in the pick and roll, but like LeBron James can do both. Anthony Davis, it's a little less often, but he can absolutely be the ball handler in an inverted ball screen. And so kind of having to process that in the floor and basketball happens so fast. That's one of the things I always talk about. I really admire about basketball players is their ability to process information at high at high speeds. That becomes more and more difficult the more options that you have available. And so I just thought that was a brilliant way from Darwin last year to resolve, not resolve, because it's not like we were a great offense, right? But it could have been so much worse than it was. And part of the reason why it was good and something that we can build on in terms of continuity is that idea of all of these pick and roll variations. We can still do that. And we've got reps doing that. So let's take one more break uh, and we'll come back, talk a little bit more about that. And there's also also an evolution on the defensive end that I'm really excited about. The thing that I would add on here to Pete is like the guy who I think is super helpful as this sort of pick and roll evolution is like D'Angelo Russell and his passing. Yes. yes. Right. And so Delo's ability to pass players open and the reads that he's making are like essential to the Lakers being an effective half court team right now because the Lakers do run so many pick and roll variations and Delo is in the middle of a lot of that. And so it's just like, there he is making a great pass to Anthony Davis. There he is making a great pass to Rui. There he is making a great pass to LeBron James. And it's just like, oh, he's throwing the skip to opposite corner. And it's like pass after pass after pass. And having that operator who is able to make all of those reads is like critical. And that's what they have in LeBron as well. And so... One of the things I'm starting to see, too, is like Austin start to pick up on some of the same breeds that like yes. D'Lo's been making. And so now it's like, oh, I see that now, too. And now I'm making yep. that same pass to Jackson Hayes, the lob. Now, that was a transition play, but it's like that same sort of lead lob pass that Hayes caught in transition. But D'Lo's been making that in pick and rolls where it's just like, oh, Hayes is rolling downhill hard. I'm just going to throw it and let, let him, him go get it. run and jump and go get it. And Austin made a beautiful pass. We used to call this play like top. It's like a UCLA cut where the guard comes off of an elbow screen from the opposite big. And then like the guard who is handling a pie can thread the needle. And D'Lo's been making that pass all season. He made it to Gabe Vincent the first game. And he's been making it over and over again, even to Austin for layups. Well, mm -hmm. Austin made that same pass to Torian Prince last night. And so you can see that Austin is starting to get his reads as a passer within the offense too. And 
some of that is just like, I see D'Lo doing it. These are my reads too. I'm playing the same position as him now coming off of the bench. So I just wanted to highlight some of the passing that D'Lo's been making within the context of the pick and roll, because I think that's critical to the Lakers being an effective pick and roll team as well. No, that's absolutely the case. And that's part of one of the things that, that we don't always, I think, properly account for is like Austin Reeves hasn't been playing with Jackson Hayes for very long. And he's playing in a new system, right? And like, this is true about D'Lo. This is true about all of our players. Like we talked so much about the idea of continuity and there was, I, I think the way that the more accurate way to phrase that whole idea is there is the opportunity to build upon and there's the opportunity to build continuity. I felt like we talked about it as a present tense thing more than we should have in that for one, there was, there was a lot of roster turnover, Mike, and they're going to a new system. It makes sense on a just very basic level of like, yeah, it's going to take a little while of guys figuring each other out. I remember when I used to go to the park with my group of guys, we'd win games. We shouldn't win just because we always played together, you know, and the guys that we were going up against, that wasn't always the case. And so that level of coordination and that comes with time and repetition and learning each other. For sure. I, I wanted to make a Cam Reddish comment slash question, and maybe Pete, this could feed into what you were saying. You were, you let, you were excited about the defense because I have an idea that he has a part in that, or at least the size that they have now, you know, with him mm-hmm. playing either the two or the three, depending on who he or Prince is, uh, is defending. But so we all come in with our, you know, our history of what we've seen from certain guys and what I think the three of us and really most of the league had seen from Cam Reddish was struggles for the last several years in multiple different ways and multiple different reasons. And so he comes and, and he starts playing in the preseason and, you know, struggles some in the preseason, even though I thought defensively there were there's certainly plenty of moments um, for him. But, you know, when that's mirrored with sort of missing shots and driving into the teeth of the defense and not quite being sure where to go, it's it's very easy in your own mind to, to kind of conclude. Yep, that's what I thought. You know, Cam Reddish is, mm-hmm. is not going to be able to play. And regular season starts in Reddish in the first up until the Phoenix game. I think he was two for 16 from three. Um, had had not scored in double figures. And again, even though some of the defense was pretty good and it, it just the offense, it, he not quite sure where to go. And so then when he has the breakthrough that he had in the Phoenix game, it's one thing, it's notable. And you but you're not quite re- maybe ready to get over that initial opinion that you've been holding, which is backed up by stats and the eye test. But then in the Portland game happens and wait, hold on. And it was seven for 10 in this game and he's getting his shots in this place. And then the Memphis game. And, and so now it's it's like I think it's important to to take stock of where what your mindset was and what you thought. And then maybe just accept that sometimes these situations do change. Maybe LeBron James, for example, um, had some role in this. The coaching staff, certainly Darvin Ham uh, and the execs and this this looks like a different, much more comfortable player within the with the things that they're asking him to do. And I wanted to filter that in to get your guys' take on it, and especially from what you were saying about on the defensive side, Pete. I think a lot of times when you've got a guy who is a talented player that hasn't fit in, putting additional structure around them can be really helpful. I think we saw this with Rui last year. I think we saw it with Malik Monk the year before and the structure being more like on a lot of teams and on their previous stops 
the times that they would play, they would be one of the primary options on the court. Whereas with the Lakers, like Reddish is like the fourth or fifth guy that you worry about defensively. And he's mostly parked in, in the weak side corner offensively in a very similar spot as Jared Vanderbilt, who I'm super excited about him coming back and what he adds to what I'm going to talk about on defense in a moment. Um, but Reddish being on that weak side, Darius and I were talking about this prior to the pod as well, of where you give him a simple read where it's like you either rack right to the basket uh, going baseline or you use a ball screen going the other way. But it's like very binary type of reads and shoot if you're open. Uh, and as he gets into those attacking type of uh, sets, Darius brought up Stanley Johnson as a great name of being a guy where it's like, I've had the ball in my hands and been making shot pass reads my entire life. This is what I do. And when it's in second side type of action where you didn't start out the play, but it was you got the ball because LeBron fired a laser of a skip pass over to you. That's a lot more like he's done that many times in his life and he can get all the way to the rack and knock down that three. His uh, rookie or second year in Atlanta, he was great in their playoff series from three-point range. There isn't a game that's going to be too athletic for Cam or too just kind of high intensity. And that moves me to the defensive end, D, of what I'm so excited about is you properly pointed out in the Portland game, like, hey, we're blitzing ball screens in this game and trapping them, right? And it's like, Damian Lillard isn't here anymore. We don't have to do that. But you know, one peculiarity of about uh, the last three teams that we've played is they've all been missing their main ball handler. So Phoenix was uh, without Devin Booker. The uh, Portland was without Scoot and Simons and Brogdon. Memphis is without Jock. And so one of the things that you can do when a team is weak in ball handling is use that strategy to attack them. And yes. you need great athletes to be able to do that because you're going to get put in rotation. One thing we haven't mentioned is Memphis also hit 23s in that game. I'd really like to know how many NBA games have had both teams hit 23s in them. I bet you it's not many. And part of that was because we were in rotation all night. But we've been working on this really aggressive style of defense that if you put Jared Vanderbilt into this as well. If you've got athletes all over the floor and like Rui's playing great defense off of the ball, you got freaking Anthony Davis to clean up the stuff around the rim while you've got a Cam Reddish flying at people and applying great back pressure. The team's getting a ton of deflections. Delo's doing that too. Like I had, I was so excited last night and you could probably still hear it in my voice now of just like, this is the way, right? This is this tall, big team that can really put pressure on you, get out into, into transition. And I don't think it's a coincidence that when you activate a team's energy like that, the threes start to fall. It's totally true. I was looking at the Lakers playing to touch or playing at the level of the ball in in ball screens as a way to counteract shooting, but you appropriately contextualized it, Pete, as a way to pressure ball handlers and to put size at the point of attack in order to force guards to say, what are you going to do now that it's Christian Wood or Jackson Hayes or Anthony Davis or even LeBron James stepping out high against you and you're like, oh, damn it. And now coming over the top, even if it's not a supreme athlete like Cam, it's just like, oh, this is 6'5", D'Angelo Russell, who's like mm-hmm. poking and prodding at the ball from, from behind. It's Austin Reeves. And these guys aren't great athletes, but 
Austin is a guy that he's got this super crazy knack of like chasing over the top of screens and like getting this weird side contest on jump shots with his left hand, like reaching from behind and like going above a guy's head and making yep. it just seem like I'm about to hit you. And guys miss this jumper. It's, it's like, this is him. Even though he doesn't have the physical tools, he's still applying back pressure that bothers that guy. It's super important. It's a super important part of any defense that is going to not um, switch ball screens. If you're asking and you're asking your guard to go over the top, the Lakers guards do not go under screens very often unless it's very much against a non like a complete non shooter. Right. And, and so. This more aggressive style and trying to then tag like one of the principles, sorry, I'm going on a tangent here, but one of the principles that is key within like Frank Vogel's defense and Budenholzer defenses is trying to play pick and roll coverages two on two. Mm. They do not want to always tag all the way into the paint with the weak side. Now, to be fair, they are comfortable doing that because if you help off of the right shooter, Boonholzer doesn't care about giving up an open three to a shooter who cannot right. shoot. And and the Lakers have been comfortable doing that as well. They've been pinching from the elbows, though, rather than from the weak side corner. The Lakers, though, in this scheme, Pete, you have to tag from weak side corner. And it's one of the reasons why they've been giving up so many corner threes. As they get more reps at this, that's the part I want yep. cleaned up a little bit more is like how to play two on the weak side and and how to recover in time so that you're not giving up a wide open corner three point shooter, because those are the shots that Cam Reddish is getting. And he's showing like, hey, I could make these and other NBA pros are going to make these shots as well. But I'm with you on the aggressiveness and the like, let's leverage our length, let's leverage our physicality, yes. let's leverage our speed yes. with guys like Cam and AD and even LeBron who will jump a passing lane and be like, oh, we're off to the races now. And Vando is such a natural fit for this. I cannot wait to see him in this style. The only other thing I want to add is that uh, you guys nailed that one. In season tournament wise, it the West is like, almost wrapped at this point which it seems like it might not be but so just bear with me so the lakers essentially just have to win one of their last two uh and it, at portland and versus utah barring something unexpected like utah beating um, both phoenix and the lakers right or because even if phoenix wins there they have three games left then the lakers already have the tiebreaker over them so they would the lakers would just need to win one of their last two so that's one thing Denver is 2-0 in their group, and their next two games are at Pelicans, at Rockets. They just have to win one of those. Minnesota is 2-0 in their group, and their next two games are home against the Kings and the Thunder. So those are likely, you know, again, barring some weird stuff happening, your three group winners. And then it's just about the wild card and, you know, who fights it out between Golden State and Sacramento and Phoenix and, you know, maybe Houston or New Orleans. And so it's it's like that. That that win at Phoenix was just that was the one that was the one that was so important. This one against Memphis was was sort of you check the box. Uh, they were incredibly shorthanded. But the encouraging thing when you zoom out past that is all what you guys just talk, talked about, like the way that the team is playing, the energy that they're bringing, the defensive style shifting up, the shots starting to drop some. Austin and D'Lo starting to figure out some more things. So that both things are kind of happening at the same time. Uh, but 
you know, I, I did want to note that ahead of Friday's game at Portland when the Lakers can lock things up uh, for the tournament and, and it can happen amidst what they're trying to figure out on offensive defense. Absolutely. And the Lakers are going to have to bounce back tonight, right? Last night felt like a bit of a an emotional crescendo, right? Uh, and Lakers played great. Got another game tonight against Sacramento. You want to blitz ball screens against teams that, you know, don't have their starting point guard. De'Aaron Fox is a whole different problem. Super, super curious to see if we do that still. I would like to see us try to see what it looks like and see where the weaknesses are because Fox will certainly exploit that. But he's also a guy where if you're in a drop and kind of let him do what he wants to do, they're really tough to to get stops on. And so really interesting game tonight against a, a solid Sacramento team um, that it's just ahead of us in the standings we will be back tomorrow to discuss it but until then you've been listening to laker film room podcast we'll catch you guys next time james has got it in low to mikhail mikhail wants to turn his double team just pass out of front broken up by worthy tips to magic worthy dies on his belly magic scores there's magic got it magic fires it's good and the lakers win the game the lakers win the game three seconds left van exel to win it it's on the way A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, two, one. Miss it. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.